I'm Michael Laurie and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup. Gareth is away off on his holidays again, so it's Adam McCandry stepping back into the host chair, which is no different to any other chair in the building. It just gives me authority when I'm speaking, and it's also a swivel chair, which you guys don't have, so I'm going to take that. So in fact, it is different. (laughs) Actually, yeah, it is different, yeah. Plenty coming up on this week's podcast. We have a big quarterfinal win from Ulster to look back on on what was a very emotional day at Kingspan Stadium for two players in particular. However, with no game this weekend to look forward to, that doesn't mean we can't take a quick look at what's going to be an incredibly tight Champions Cup final between Leinster and Saracens. And as always, we shall take a gander at some listener questions from yourselves. And the Ulster Rugby Awards took place last night, so we'll run through some of the winners from there. But first, introducing my wonderful panellist today. He's here every week because he has nothing better to do with his time and he's not getting his full title from me this week. It's full-time Belfast Telegraph correspondent and delighted Spurs fan, Jonathan Bradley. Hello, hi, Aaron. And joining us again for what I believe is his ninth appearance of the season. Is it? I believe so. I went back and listened to it. Yeah, I did. Dear, oh dear. I want to give you a full time. I thought you got into double figures, but not quite, but we will have you in double figures by the end of the season. (sighs) Well, I don't know if I can bear the tension, but anyway, thanks very much, Adam. (laughs) Yes, yes. And (laughs) it's Michael Sadler. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Michael, what would you like your full title to be? We've already worked out Johnny's Uh, as the uh, father (laughs) of scoops. Uh, author author of something I can't even remember I wasn't even there the week that we gave you your full title so needless to say it was Garth yeah I'm not surprised um, oh just nine time appearance will do me yeah, but well, not, not quite just one short of ten on the podcast will do me you know um, you make your debut then you aim for ten and, and then you hope to be yeah. at twenty and then perhaps you'll come along there'll be a will, it, will there be a cap percentage of fifty maybe hmm? if there's such a thing ne- next year next year yeah yeah okay <laughs> So only one place to start this week and that's at Kingspan Stadium where Ulster secured their place in the final four of the Guinness Pro 14 with a 21-13 win over Connacht. Tries from Nick Timoney and Marcel Kutsia, more on him later, were enough to see Ulster over the line with plenty to spare and set up a semi-final with the Glasgow Warriors in a week's time. Firstly, Johnny, your thoughts on the game as a whole? I thought um, by and large... Ulster played well. I thought they controlled it. They could have been a bit more clinical, obviously. Um, Given up two intercepts, one of which led to a try. Um, probably muddied the waters a wee bit in terms of how comfortable people felt, um, especially when you're looking at a one-point game later on. But I thought Ulster were in control of things without ever pulling away on the scoreboard, I suppose. And whenever we spoke last week, we said we expected a tight game. That's what it was but got the job done and move on now to, I suppose, what's almost a free hit next week. Michael, for a game that ended up as an eight-point difference, it felt a lot more comfortable than that, didn't it? Yeah, it did, but um, well, that's because they controlled so much of the game. But as ever with Ulster, it wasn't just quite so straightforward, and there were moments that certainly were a bit nerve-jangling when Connacht closed it. I think it was one point uh, on two occasions, perhaps, during the game. Uh, but you never really felt that Connacht had the ability, really, to, to take the game with the scruff of the neck. It was really Ulster who were going to lose it, not necessarily, if you know what I mean, Connacht were going to win it. Having said that, um, there were areas of the game that weren't really 
great to see, um, for instance, the lineouts, which incidentally at, at Scottstown, the last time they were there, really malfunctioned as well. And that would be a little bit of a, a worry, I suppose, if you were looking at it in that regard. But uh, look, they, they got there, they got the job done, and yes, they've got a free hit, as you say, at Scottstown, which brings back horrible memories of a day in 2015. I don't know if either one of you were there. You might have been there, Adam, as a supporter, were you? No, I wasn't oh, there. Well, I was there as I was working at it, and that's a day that is etched in my mind, as well as practically, I think, all the players who were there as one of the the really, really awful moments um, uh, of the last um, of the last while when Ulster were hitting knockout rugby on a regular basis. So hopefully, anyway, we're moving on from that. That will not happen again, you know. <laughs> yes, we've still got a, a week to wait, but I think one of the things that impressed me most was the defence. How Ulster, besides the intercept try, didn't really look like they were under too much pressure. Johnny's pulled out a sheet of paper, which makes me think he's got something prepared. He's got a stat, hasn't he, or two? Yeah. No, it was just the defence was obviously something that interested me as well, because doing the sort of voting for the Pro 14 Team of the Year this week, I think you can make a good argument that both halfbacks could come from Connacht in Blade and Cardi. Uh, obviously, Marmion started this week and Blade came off the bench, but... Um, we probably didn't see the Connacht attack that we've seen in other parts of the season. Andy Friends got a lot of deserved praise this year for rebuilding Connacht and instilling more of a style to them than they had last year during an unhappy year with uh, Kieran Keane at the helm. We didn't really see that. I think Ulster, in terms of defence, sort of stamped their authority on things. You've got a lot of boys now, I'm thinking Ian Henderson, Eric O'Sullivan, Marcel Kutsia, he'll just make tackles for you all day long. Um, and that's what we saw again. But I, I just I find the defensive thing interesting because they look so much better defensively than last year. In terms of stats, I mean, you've got 54 tries conceded this year compared to 61 last year. But as we made such a big deal about throughout the year, last season was their worst ever in the Pro 14 in terms of tries shipped. Now, obviously, you have to take into, was it nine they conceded at Munster? I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. nine. Yeah. So you have to take that into consideration when you're looking at, um, I suppose, the season as a whole. But defence is so important. And I think if you we look at the league table, I was going to say the interesting thing. I hasten to use the word interesting too liberally because I can tell the way you're going to look at me just... Whenever I said interesting there, it was like... Eyes glazing over. (laughs) Like, there's a much stronger correlation in the Pro 14 this season between teams that are good defensively and success than the teams that score lots of tries and success. Part of that's coloured by, obviously, the fact that um, Kings and Cheetahs score a lot of tries and concede a lot of tries, but... If you look at the tables in both conferences, Ospreys are really the only outlier in terms of a side that has such a strong defence but hasn't succeeded in the same way as the other teams. So you can see how defence is, even in a league where more tries are being scored year on year than ever before, defence is really the bedrock. And that's what we've seen really from Ulster since, I suppose, January. Um, it took them a while to get there, but really since that Leinster um, defeat in the RDS, the defence has been strong, with the exception of the 
the Glasgow game, which was more to do with a malfunctioning set piece than anything else. But I personally, I just find it interesting looking at the try totals and like you know for the fifty four that they conceded this year is the second worst that they've conceded in the Pro fourteen. Oh, or well, Celtic League Pro trial Pro fourteen only um, bettered by last season, which was terrible defensively. But does that surprise you? Because it feels like yeah, like not not looking at the stats, it feels like this has been a really good defensive season for Ulster. That's what I'm saying, and I think maybe you have to look at the numbers in terms of the tries per game that are now scored in the Pro 14 being so much higher than say five or six years ago. Um, but that in turn would also colour last year's defence defence statistics anyway. So I suppose what you are doing is you are just having to trust that they look better defensively um, because the stats don't particularly bear it out in relation to the last couple of seasons. Yeah, they're passing the eye test. And it's one of those ones where if you take that Aki try, you know, that goes down as a try conceded, but that's not on the defence. Yeah. If, if anything, that's almost an offensive try to concede because it's come off a, an intercept when you're attacking. Um, so whenever you put it into context, I mean, Michael, did, did they pass the eye test for you? Um, well, we, we, we actually talked about this before. Um, those statistics are indeed not what you might think they are. Um, I just don't think they've just quite hit uh, their stride consistency-wise. Uh, they can turn up one week and look superb. And then it does dip a bit. Um, they, they, they still have to sort this problem out. And they do have issues with set-piece, which they haven't ironed out yet. Um, you'd like to think that a corner was turned anyway. And that they are playing uh, definitely a better style of game. And I suppose you can't argue with that as well. Look, it's got them into knockout rugby um, in two competitions. And they're not doing what they did last year. Which was obviously having to play that... Uh, playoff with the Ospreys to just stay in the Champions Cup but that's offset as well by just how poorly say the likes of Scarlets have done this year and it, you know it. I, I, I don't think you can really answer the question adequately until we see really how they start to go next season you know to really to, to really drill down and see what the improvement is but it's true that though everyone is getting quite excited about what they're doing um, they're anything but um, a finished product, and they do um, they do have a tendency to kind of uh, not fall flat, but have the potential for things to go badly wrong after doing something very very right, and we may well see that um, coming up in this semi final, uh, which is a very difficult ask for them and a difficult ask for anybody at the moment because so few people I think have won at Scotstown this year. Um, I think just Edinburgh, but Surrey's one in the, oh, yeah, in the cup. Uh, cup as well. But I think those are the only two teams that come away from Scotstown with a win. And uh, as I say, to answer the question adequately, I think you really got to look again at how they go next season. The, the fact is that they have made progress, as was explained there. But I mean, um, are they definitely a better team? I don't know. Is the short answer to that? One of the reasons why Ulster are undoubtedly a better team this year is Marcel Kutsia who has been outstanding all year and was outstanding at the weekend 
Um, Michael, just talk to me a bit about the impact that he's had this year. I mean, that seems like a very obvious question, but I think we saw it on Saturday, just whenever he's playing at his full potential, he's practically unplayable, isn't he? Well, he's something that Ulster haven't had, and they missed him missed so much when he wasn't there, which is just having that dynamism, uh, both in attack and defence. Uh, funny, I thought he sort of slipped a bit out of the game uh, during that Connacht game, but came back very strongly after making a very, very powerful start. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's really central to what they're trying to do. I don't think anyone can deny that. Uh, when he gets the ball in his mitts, he's very, very hard to stop, and he always gives you momentum. I think, what was it, Rory Best made some comment <laughs> about the fact that, uh, you know, there's just no such thing as Marcel going backwards when he gets the ball. He's also extremely aggressive defensively, and though he does give away um, penalties, um, he has a huge presence at the breakdown. With Without him, um, I don't think we would be talking about Ulster in the way we're talking about them now, regardless of whether you think they're massively better or they're not massively better. The one thing they have had this season, which they haven't had since he came here, was his presence. And uh, there's no, no denying it, he's an absolutely key man to have over in Scottstown. Um, and you, they just have to hope that this contract extension as well doesn't come with further issues, injury issues along the way. Um, no, a huge, huge presence, huge player. And then once they have all their players lined up, all the key men, he is, he and with him there as well, you, you would have to give them a chance, decent shot, of almost you know, having a crack at beating anybody in the Pro 14, even though that hasn't necessarily been the case as we've seen. Well, that's an interesting point you make about how. Ulster have, have had him all season and we've talked before on the podcast about how Les Kiss undoubtedly would have wanted him in previous seasons and would have had him as a very important part. Do you think having him this year overshadows potentially... What, like how, how could this season have gone if Ulster didn't have him? Are we talking about a similar season to last season? Or is he that important to this thing? I think it's very hard to measure... Because what you're essentially saying is how many wins is Marcel could see a worth. You're starting to bring in like baseball statistics. Yeah, win, wins win, above win, replacement. Wins above replacement. Um, but I think that you have to look at it that he is worth, I think, a couple of wins a season. Because sometimes I think when you watch players every week, and we talked about this in terms of like Jacob Stockdale before, I think you can become immune almost to how good they are. But Marcel Katia is one of the best players in this league. Like, he's in the top three, probably. Um, and the added benefit of the fact that he plays through the international windows. But when you're talking about how important he is, I think it's also interesting to note that he missed the Six Nations with an injury. Now, during that time, Ulster got 21 points out of 25, which is a third of the tally that they managed the entire season. And it's the period that's credited with getting, yeah. getting them to where yes, they are now. And, and he didn't play in it. And that's mm. why I think it's it's tempting to say that, you know, the cliche of, oh, he's been like a new signing and he's pushed Ulster to another level. But I think that you have to acknowledge myriad factors this season that have sparked a turnaround, if you like. And that Six Nations window would be one that would certainly make me think that, you know, you can't just say that it's all down to Marcel, you know. 
No, that's true. But in the key games that he's played, that's he's been absolutely vitally important. Absolutely, yeah. Important. Especially in, I think, in Europe. Yeah. You know, I think he. You can definitely make the argument that he was the difference maker in Europe because he's that good. You know, you talk. You know, Michael Checker would have talked about what you need to win in Europe, and you need, you know, you need five world class players, five international class players, and five Champions Cup level players in your starting fifteen to win the Heineken Cup and Marcel Coetzee is one of those players in your top five bracket you know he's that good Henderson's that good Stockdale's that good Ulster probably don't have enough I would say in the second bracket you know they don't have enough international players who would be below world class if you like Mm -hmm. you know you've probably got I don't know which tier you would put Roy Best in, factoring everything in in terms of his leadership. Um, but you know he's an international player, but you only really have like three of us, really, right? In terms of the Ireland setup, could see it would be an international player if yeah. he was playing in South Africa. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Um, Let's talk about that now then, because with the good recent performances, people have been talking about could see a potentially playing for the Springboks. Do you see that happening? I feel partly responsible for bringing this debate into the world. Well, I mean, yes, you asked the question (laughs) in the post-match press conference about it. And then, well, no, it was the pre-match, and then it became became a thing in the post-match press conference. Um, He doesn't seem to think that he's going to. He said he's had no contact with Razzi, which if you compare that to, say, Joe Schmidt, who is in contact with... 60 70 odd players at any one time it would seem you know to let them know that even if they haven't been capped even if they're not yet eligible in the case of will addison you know that there's contact there i'm watching you <laughs> yeah <laughs> essentially yeah whereas razi has had no contact with marcel and seems to be edging towards the we're going to go with what we have now you could still get an injury you you will get a back row injury because look at you've got a rugby championship to get mm-hmm. through before the World Cup, and I think if there was to be an injury in the back row, say, and you don't call up Marcel Kitsia, I really do think you're playing with fire, because he's a, he's that good and he's in that good form that you would think it would be madness not to take him to Japan. Anything's possible. I mean, Johan Muller got a call up to the um, was it 2011 World Cup squad? I think it was or was it yeah out of nowhere? I think it was 11. Yeah, I think so. Check that, but I think he did um, when it wasn't expected. Um, so anything can happen. Um, I'll still hope it obviously doesn't happen. I'll not be saying that because uh, I want to see him away. And, I think uh, it was a, it was a swift no comment from Dan whenever he was asked <laughs> whether he would like to see Marcel yeah. go to the World Cup. Yeah. Yes, I would love to. As he shakes his head uh, from sides. Well, side. he he did expand on it obviously, obviously to say that he wants what Marcel wants. Mm. But I can see Ulster fans, the catch-22 there for them, because if you, especially given who South Africa might play in the quarterfinals, <laughs> um, he would be obviously a central figure during that World Cup period for Ulster. But sure, Ulster are good during international periods whenever no, we'll, we'll is not Marcella, yeah, Exactly, maybe that's the mm. secret to success, you never know. 
Um, I'll, I'll just throw in the before you make your next point. I'll throw in a listener question here from Johnny Smith, where he does ask, "Do we want Kutsia to be called up to a World Cup squad?" But he asks because of the heavy workload of a World Cup, where you're going out and you're just training uh, a lot and obviously playing so many games in such a tight space of time. The other thing as well is during uh, you know if you get the odd monsoon, you're going to be playing on heavy, heavy pitches, mm. whereas normally you'd be playing on a dry track. Even here at this time of year, you're playing on a dry track, so it would take a lot out of your legs, I suppose. And we've seen in, you know, we saw in 2015 the really sort of shattering effect that a World Cup tournament at the start of a Northern Hemisphere season can have on players in Ireland. Um, It would probably compromise his form for a good chunk of next season and I'm not just talking about Marcel in that regard and everybody going to the World Cup is going to come back in a compromised position because you've got a full season to go having had the most intensive seven weeks that you have every four years you know um, personally I'd like him to go because just because you know looking at it from a human point of view rather than a Ulster rugby reporter point of view you're talking about a guy that missed the last world cup through injury has probably lessened his chances let's be honest of getting a springbok recall to stay on at ulster he's spoken about how the loyalty shown to him through his injuries made him want to show loyalty to ulster he's put that ahead of um enhancing his odds for a springbok career essentially but especially having missed out on the world cup four years ago um I think you'd be hard of stone, really, to say that you don't want to see the guy get the call up when it would mean so much to him. Well, hopefully, Marcel will be heading to Japan. One person who we know will be heading, or we certainly would be very surprised if he didn't be head to Japan, would be Rory Best. What an emotional day it was for him and Darren Cave at the weekend, both playing their final games in Belfast uh, before retiring. Michael, what a day it was for those two, uh, especially at the end. Yeah, yeah. So I was just checking the Johan Miller thing as I was getting quizzed a bit mixed. <laughs> he did get called He up. did? Yeah, yeah, he made it to 2011 as well. Um, we never, we never doubted you, Michael. Oh, you did. I could tell by the looks. You definitely doubted me. Uh, look, it was another, yes, it was another emotional day. We're getting kind of not uh, immune to them. Obviously, you're not immune to them, but you do get them. You remember Ruan Pinar and Roger Wilson and Tommy mm. Bow and go on really but um, yes it was um, it was fitting that uh, they got that home game it's fitting that they got the win so that they could progress it would have been uh, I think as Rory Best alluded to horrendous if they had lost to Connacht which uh, while he was standing on the touchline was by no means uh, by no means a gimme that they were definitely going to win that game so uh, yeah it, it was it was great to see and uh you know, Rory will get another game, and and possibly Darren. Darren's now getting frighteningly close to Andrew Trimble's record. Um, yeah, if uh, he plays, if they would, plays in the semi final and they happen to win and progress to the final and plays in that, then he will actually, I think, have beaten them by one, which so, yes. would be yeah. some going uh, for his very last game of rugby. But um, um, I think that's. I know he would want to do that. Though he. You'd be saying he wouldn't. Um, that would be a, a, a great 
thing for him. But clearly, if he does get there, I mean, all the focus will be on whether they can win the final or not, not on whether you know this this record. But uh, no, it it was we're kind of getting used to as I said to this emotion we've had Rory's farewell press conference not that long ago when he was on the verge of tears um, so on and the family were there with him and of course they were there with him again um, at the weekend and uh, yeah yeah it was uh, it was another of those occasions and I suppose they mark if you like the passing of a certain almost a generation of, of player who've been there since what the mid 2000s in Rory's case and I think Darren really came in about 2008, 2009 Yeah, just after that under, under yeah, 20s, 20s and they've been through that recovery that came under Brian McLaughlin's tenure and then that regular knockout rugby 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15 when they got to finals and of course as we all know didn't get there, didn't get over the line, didn't win anything but uh, they were all part and parcel of that and, and them leaving now really is the end, if you like, of that side I suppose it will have now completely I think broken up unless I'm mistaken I don't no. think there's anybody else really left Because Gilly would be Psyker Gower would be yeah. the longest tenured I believe mm-hmm. Yes um, Luke Marshall probably second Well I've just gone on to look it up here um, mm-hmm. And the Wi-Fi suddenly decided to go slow on me. As it does. Um, but no, I, th- I yeah. think I think our mountain saying is Craig Gore and Luke Marshall would be the longest tenured players. And, yeah. you know, Louis Ludic is your sort of veteran presence there. He's only, what, 32, I think? Yeah. Um, well, Gilly, Gilly made his debut in November 2010. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's got to be the yeah. longest serving now. Which, to be fair, is nine years ago, you know? yeah. But yeah. it just it just shows like this as Michael says this is kind of the end of a generation almost it's the end of that. So yeah, the end of the team that you thought were going to win something. And then yeah. didn't, yes. You know, and, and actually, if Ulster were to win something now, yeah. there's no correlation no, really to, to that, that uh, 2012. And, yeah, and they all thought they were good enough to win something. The thing that has puzzled them and has haunted quite a few of them is that they didn't. And you don't have to dig scratch very deep under the surface if you ever interview any of them to have this coming through that we didn't do it we don't know why we didn't do it we thought we were good enough to do it obviously we weren't good enough to do it but it is something that a lot of those guys still carry and they'll never really shake off because on paper they were certainly in positions to do it well they were the best team in the league in 2013 they were and didn't win the league and they were one of the two best teams in Europe in 2014 and then when the Heineken Cup. And then got to the final in 2012 and, well, unfortunately, met Leinster um, mm-hmm. in their prime. And, um, yeah, uh, and that will mark effectively the passing of that. Those, you bet you say Craig Gilroy was very much part of that, um, certainly with 2012, coming on board with that magical try. And they've got nothing for it. And yet you would say that that squad that was assembled was... Very, uh, a, hell of a, a hell of a squad a very strong squad but nothing to show for it but that's the way it goes it's be- a better team than any of the Ulster no, no disrespect but a better team than any of the Ulster teams that did win mm-hmm. the three Ulster teams that did win so far mm-hmm. that's a very depressing look back on what was a very nice way to send them off in Belfast yeah I don't know how we got into that yeah. <laughs> no, that's my fault that's my fault the just, moon just yeah. dived off a cliff at I've, the end I've just been around too long that's the problem <laughs> um, so yeah that's right. But no, I, you know, move on, move on. <laughs> it'll, it'll all work. It'll all change this time. 
So they will have one more game. They they will be playing in uh, in Glasgow next week in that semi final. Do you think Trimby's like sitting at home going? I kind of hope they don't win, so KV doesn't get a chance to break my record. Well, Trimby's playing in that Legends game, so I think if they end up tied, he's going to claim that as a cap. <laughs> <laughs> Would he be that petty? <laughs> I wouldn't say petty. And it like the record in general is funny because you know for so long it was Willie Anderson and 78 and then Gary Longwell played for so long and almost seemed insurmountable so you had those records standing for a good chunk of time whereas now even in the last what four years it's been Paddy Wallace then Roger Wilson then Trimby then Roger Wilson again then Trimby and it's changed hands a good few times and Craig Gilroy might you know in three years time it could be Craig Gilroy and I suppose before his injuries, it looked like Craig Gilroy would set a mark that really would be insurmountable again. Mm-hmm. And I think Darren's made this point that, you know, the record isn't going to last forever. Yes, it would be nice. But, you know, I suppose from Andrew Trimble's perspective, he's already had lost and regained this record. That's how sort of fluid it is. And yes, we make a big deal about it. Yes, I'm sure it's very nice to say that you've played for Ulster more times than ever, but or more times than anybody else. But the as... Cave made the point the other day it's also not particularly comparable because there's now 30 games a year when there used to be 4 or 5 you know well as we said they will have a chance next week to reach the Guinness Pro 14 final when they face Glasgow but we'll park that for the moment because we've got next week's podcast and we've got to leave something for it um, if we- I could just make one point on Glasgow though sorry, on. that I find interesting yeah. you talk about the sort of rust element and whether it, you're better to have played and not played I thought it was interesting to hear this week that Glasgow had actually explored the possibility of a friendly game possibly with Ospreys just to keep sharp obviously we saw now I think they're playing better or I think they're a better team than they were last year but we saw last year where they were such front runners and then lost to mm. Scarlets at home because they just seemed seemed like they've been just inactive for so long that they were in a bit of a funk when they came out and Scarlets having played their home quarter final against the Cheetahs really blew them away that day so I just thought it was interesting that they had looked into that possibility because it's not something that you would hear of an awful lot these days you know arranging for mid-season friendlies and what will it be three weeks since they play yeah. Uh, yeah. which is a considerable amount of time mm-hmm. um, and there's a very real danger that you will not be hitting your straps it's actually funny because in America the ice hockey playoffs are going on at the moment and there are two teams that face one that hadn't played in basically a week and a half and one who played two nights before and everyone thought that the team that played two nights before would have been absolutely shattered. But they came out and won the first game between the two, two days after they'd last played. So there probably is a sense of rustiness, um, but we'll discuss that in more detail next week. For now... We'll move on to more pressing matters and something that broke yesterday and that is that Munster fly half Bill Johnson will be making the move up north to Kingspan Stadium next season. Young fly half, 22 years old, very highly thought of down in Munster. Uh, what do you guys think of his move? Yeah, I mean, talking to people I've seen him play in the A-team for Munster, he's, um, he's very highly thought of, I suppose, my own um, experience of seeing him would have been the under-20s in 2016 um, when he had a few injuries and then 
the sort of handful of senior appearances that he has had for Munster, including the one up here not too long ago where he kicked the penalty to secure the losing bonus point. He's a very, very highly thought of player. He's When he has played for the Ireland under-20s, he's had a real composure that you don't always associate with 10s at that level. You know, you've had, I suppose... Excuse me. <laughs> um, in terms of who's really impressed at 10... For Ireland, he's probably been, I would think, has looked the most pro-ready. And that's, you know, going back to guys like Paddy Jackson, JJ Hanrahan, um, and a few other guys, Ross Byrne even, who have played 10 at, at recent, in, in recent editions of that tournament. Um, so I think it's a good signing. It's a, I feel like it's a slightly left field one almost. Because you have Johnny McPhillips there. Now, Johnny was saying on Saturday there that he's got another year left at Ulster, contractually anyway. Um, you've got Billy Burns, and the big sort of question mark through this whole thing is going to be Mike Lowry, because we haven't seen Mike Lowry play 10, but we know that he is a 10. And yes, you sort of have, I suppose, the way... An awful lot of the Kiwi 10s that have come through recently, the last couple of years, you've seen them play 15 first. Some of them even then move to 12 and then 10. But then there's other an argument to be made, I suppose, for you know somebody like Paddy Wallace, say, where you don't want to turn these guys into utility backs because you want to get them reps at 10 you want to get the minutes at 10 we've spoken already on the podcast this year about how that hasn't quite happened for Mike Lowry this would make you think that it's less likely to happen going forward but it'll be interesting to see what happens with Johnny McPhillips because obviously he will he does have that other year Um, not really quite sure how because I think it was a nice as a two year contract but he, he says himself that he's got another year anyway so it'll be interesting to see what happens with him because he got so few chances this year that you would think he's now in a position where he might get even less. Maybe that makes him want to move on. But I think it's going to be really, really interesting to watch how the chances behind Billy Burns are handed out next year. Michael, how, how do you are you happy to see Larry first of all? being in this position. I mean, we've talked about him for so long as being the next Ulster 10. We've talked about him being the incumbent to the jersey. What do you think this means? Um, I think they're obviously very interested in playing him at 15. Um, I think he looks um, he looks like a composed 15 who could give them something. He certainly is very useful coming counter-attacking with his footwork. And that must be part of the reason behind it, one would think. Um, as for Johnny McPhillips, it doesn't look like he's quite fitting in here. But maybe there's also a logic to it in that having the sky's availability and being able to move around the provinces now, which is something that is some, we're seeing a lot more of, means that it will put pressure on Billy Burns, who isn't really under any real pressure at the moment as a starting 10, but ought to be. Uh, because I don't know that some, some of his performances have been really a bit up and down. So in that regard, this may change the dynamic. Uh, it may also, um, you know, lead to complete change in ten. But Mike Lowry, I thought he had played a game at ten. Am I right in thinking? He played yeah, he the Ospreys. Yeah, and he played right. the end of the monster game. Yeah, 
But um, I'm just looking at, at how he's slotting in. It seems to be that he's yeah, fifteen seems to be the position where he slots into the team at the moment, on the basis that uh, we would assume that when Mulladdison's fit, he may well end up playing, say, 13, potentially, mm -hmm. but he can also slip into 15. I think that's going to be an interesting yeah, one as well, because like, Luke Marshall is, is a 13. He's played well. Mm -hmm. McCluskey's obviously firmly, yeah. firmly ensconced in 12. So it's going to be interesting, just the re-emergence of Luke Marshall has maybe made it, sort of given you a decision to make of Will Addison in terms of your best team, but, you know, as we say, ad nauseum, you're never going to have your best team. So. No. Well, we've talked about how Ulster like to have guys who can play more than one position. You were talking about it there where you want to get guys reps at, at one position. Do you feel like this is something that could come back and bite them a bit in that they have guys who can play so many positions that all of a sudden you're starting to move so many guys around that there's no consistency almost? I just think 10's specialised. You know, um, when you see, you, we use the example of the All Blacks there before, with you know the Barrett brothers, so on and so forth, of maybe being able to move guys around from time. But when you think of like Johnny Sexton, Dan Carter, you know you don't want to move them out to twelve. I think ten. 10 for me is a specialised position that maybe doesn't always get treated like a specialised position. But it's so important to how the team operates, even with even given how much Ulster play off nine. And sort of with John Cooney using a forward at first receiver. And then we've seen so much of the attacking shape geared towards that this year, but 10 is still so important. And I don't think you would be able to master 10 as a young player if you were moving 10, 12, 15 all the time. But it remains to be seen because you can also make the argument as Michael did there of how valuable he can be at 15 and learning the ropes at a senior level because remember you're talking about a guy that lost the entire first year essentially of his um, year in the academy and added to that of course we keep forgetting John Cooney plays 10 from mm -hmm. time to time as well they, they suddenly have a quite a glut of people uh, in the squad they're clearly not all going to to play. John Cooney's obviously an emergency 10 situation, but sometimes it can mean that they wouldn't put a 10 on the bench. But having mm -hmm. Johnson means now that they can. Uh, plus, of course, Mike Lowry. But as we've seen, it may well be that they're going to look at Mike at 15 now um, as his main position. Um, I, I don't know what his best position is, frankly, because mm. we haven't really seen him playing uh, at out half, which is the position he came through. Um, through school as far as I know well, I'm enjoying him diving through people's legs as yes. a fullback like that's yeah. something I've never seen from anyone else before so if he's going to keep doing that by all means keep him at fullback well, that's quite it, fun it also means he doesn't get hits huge hits which mm. have been as you can see have had have damaged him he isn't what you might describe as the most robust and maybe that also what I'd have is dangerous when you have people charging down the channel at you uh, so it may be also be self-preservation as opposed to also winning uh, extra yardage. Um, but I don't know, it remains to be seen. Be what, what, what would your depth chart be at 10 then? If you if I was to ask you for your packing order at 10 for the start of next season, what, what would you guys have it as at the moment? I suppose it's got to start with Billy Burns in the sense that it is his shirt at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, 
Gosh, after that, it's interesting. Um, who I, I don't know. Uh, probably Johnson. Um, I mean, you've you've got a guy there in Johnson who yeah. has a lot of potential and is so highly talked about, yeah. but has never gotten the chance to prove it. You've got McPhillips who has proved it, but has had a few. But may not dodgy, be here either. We, we're not may sure not be here. That. Has had a few dodgy starts yeah. this year that wouldn't exactly fill you with confidence. Yeah. And you've got Larry, who's mm-hmm. the wild card that. You know, everyone sees as this great 10 in the future, but seems to be doing well at 15. And, and John Cooney in there. You've too many yeah. people who can suddenly play 10, so I'm guessing one of those individuals may not well be here next season, despite what uh, Johnny has uh, said, Johnny McFollows. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Somebody else to throw into the mix that we forgot to talk about, Pete Nelson, who's also Pete, been filling in at 10. Yeah, Pete occasions. Nelson, here, I believe, mm-hmm. is out of contract. I don't know. There's obviously talk about a move maybe to France. Um, probably on hold a little bit until the team in question works out whether they're going to be a top 14 team or a second tier team um, I think you want to be three deep in every position and it, the third man in that depth chart all over the pitch is going to get minutes um, to me if I was Bill Johnson I wouldn't be coming to Ulster unless I thought I could be second choice yeah, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't leave Monster where I'm fourth choice to be Ulster's third choice. Mm-hmm. You'll get more minutes, but I wouldn't do it personally. Or their first choice. Yeah. it's it's available. It's potentially available to him. Well, so if somebody comes in and plays really well, you know that shirt. We're not talking about Marcel Cotia here, you know. Um, to be frank, so Bill Johnson was probably seen two years ago as. Monsters future ten, their next Ronan O'Gara. You know, Joey Carberry's come in and that move even fourteen months ago was hard to foresee. There was a time when we probably didn't think tied it or we weren't sure watching from afar if Blaine was gonna come back. You didn't know that Hanrahan was gonna be a success coming back. Obviously in Keith Lee's out of the mix as well now. Um going to Benetton next year, but Bill Johnson is somebody who not that long ago was seen as having that level of a future. He's not like we're not talking about Mike Laurie and Rory Best in terms of difference between the age either, you know. Billy Burns I think is coming twenty five, but but is at the minute twenty four. Bill Johnson's twenty two. Johnny Phillips I think's twenty two. I had twenty three, but you could cool. be right. And Mike Laurie's two years out of school, so he'd be twenty. You know, we're not. Mm-hmm. If somebody seizes that shirt, it's not like a situation where you can wait it out. If somebody becomes the ten, then the other guys probably aren't going to want to be here because any one of them could be the ten for the next seven or eight years. Well, thank you to Martin McGeown, Ian Frizzell and James Bradley. They all asked about the 10 situation uh, in relation to Johnson arriving, and I think we've probably answered all your questions. Uh, we'll throw in... Or we've at least talked about it. <laughs> we've yes, at least yes. talked about it in depth. At length. Yeah. Um, just one more listener question to throw in. This is the official listener question part of the podcast this week, but there's only one more. Uh, Donald O'Reilly asks... Who are your unsung heroes of the season? He mentions Marty Murr as his. You can agree with him or you can go with someone else. I was going to say 100% would have been would have been my answer because I think Marty Murr has been really, really important to Ulster this season. Um, I was probably a little bit 
skeptical perhaps that they were going to get as much out of him as they have um, having seen him when he got a few chances for Wasps um, maybe last year it seemed like he maybe stalled you know he didn't seem like he was the same player that had won 10 10 Ireland Cups in the space of 2-6 nations you know um, but he's been very very good um, to the point where I think personally I would have had him in the discussion for the World Cup I don't think he was in that discussion for too many people so that would be the only reason I would edge towards unsung hero in the sense that Eric O'Sullivan's probably had his praises sung enough <laughs> to be discounted from that category if that makes sense yeah. Michael? Oh well I'm thinking off the top of my head here um, yeah I wouldn't uh, Marty Moore is a very very able and a candidate probably the strongest candidate but I would think I would go for three players I would go for Rob Herring on the basis that yet again he's played a season here at Ulster waiting for Rory Best to move on that's now going to finally happen and when he has played increasingly laterally has showed I think tremendous form he's looking really really good really really sharp I think Alan O'Connor again is um, a player who gives you something a work rate that normally doesn't really get uh, praised too much because it's rolling your sleeves up and doing nitty gritty stuff yes he gives away penalties but he puts in a hell of a lot of work both with his carrying and tackling and actually Dave Shanahan I think is worth a mention too because when he's appeared he um, has popped up scored a lot of tries actually as Rob Herring has I think yeah, as well yeah. through the mall um, running great trail lines the pass I don't know it's still very sharp it's still very zippy I think he's had a good season this season when he's come on and isn't likely to ever be uh, praised from any rooftop for anything he's done because obviously because of John Cooney's status but I, I would I would go with those three. But having said that, um, I think Marty Moore's been a great signing. I will say that. And this is, of course, his first season here. And, of course, he didn't start it, if you remember. Yeah. I think you maybe alluded to that. I'm not sure. The, the injury. And the, the work rate and shifts he's put in um, have been very impressive. And what a shame it is, but such is the nature of these things, that he's not there now to see them through because they're looking really... Um, well, they've only got two... Two really fit frontline tight out props left in the squad. The work rate's a huge one because mm-hmm. um, I think it's fair to say he didn't have a reputation for it coming mm-hmm. over. Um, Especially at Wasps, you heard so much about how his work rate just wasn't up to scratch. Well, he, even like people he had watched him regularly for Leinster, but I don't know whether um, it's something that had gone un- unnoticed before or it's something that he's really brought to his game but watching every week he is surprisingly good around the park mm-hmm. like he really has been mm-hmm. Shanahan's a good shout as well um, Shanahan for me sorry j- just to make a point of my own sh- Shanahan for me the biggest compliment you can give him is that people aren't as worried when Cooney is unavailable anymore mm. and that I think is all you can ask for from a backup player if you're if you're not worried obviously you know you want your best players there but if you're not worried whenever someone is missing or out injured then I think that's the biggest compliment uh, you can give a backup player I remember when Les Kiss was throwing him in he, he did look very uncomfortable mm-hmm. and very nervy and he's moved on from that and matured greatly um, as a player he's yeah. certainly the most improved player in the squad this year I think compared to last year mm-hmm. which and the fact that I forgot to name him the first time would certainly tie into the unsung hero aspect of it um, and Kieran Treadwell is another one I would throw out there oh, as somebody yeah. who's um, 
quietly been much better than Especially expected. Especially in the second half of the season. Absolutely. It's almost like you know, some of his performances at midway or mid through the season were a bit flat and somebody somewhere has grabbed him or he's grabbed himself and, and mm-hmm. really, really come out of here, uh, come out uh, determined to, to make his mark. And he has, hasn't he, really? Yeah, uh, he was immense in that quarter-final. Um, and against Connacht at the weekend, I thought he was really good. I thought he was really good against yeah. Connacht. Um, a few people didn't, but I thought he had a really good game. And he's forced his way back into the starting team. So he mm-hmm. and Handy and Alan Connor is now having to take his place on yeah. the bench, whereas Al would have quite normally got the pick simply because of that work rate we talked mm-hmm. about, but not the dynamism that Kieran Treadwell yeah. can bring. Whenever Treadwell was selected to start the first Racing game, it was a surprise, I thought. And then even um, going forward into even the quarterfinal, I thought it was almost a surprise he was picked to start that ahead of Alan O'Connor. But when you look at the big games this season, you know, you're know you thinking about the Connacht at the weekend, you're thinking about the European games. Um, I think he started six of seven European games and he obviously started the, started the quarterfinal against Connacht there so if you think about the biggest games of the season he's been the one getting the nod and his form's warranted that whereas at the start of the season mm-hmm. yeah you um, personally I think you would have had Alan O'Connor in beside Handy in your first choice team mm-hmm. well thank you very much as always for your listener questions we really appreciate them and we love answering them uh, moving on last night was the Ulster Rugby Awards dinner and hey? what are you laughing at I thought Spurs won last night yeah I was like just how long was I asleep for? <laughs> um, this is the problem when you try and do something in, the, in advance. Yeah, see, you tried to be clever. Yeah, Tried to be clever, didn't work. All right. Recently. Recently, the Ulster Rugby Award didn't happen. Um, and we got the big winners on the night. Um, personality of the year went to Rory Best. Kind of had to, didn't it? Um, could have had a joint on him and yeah, KB him, maybe. Yeah, yeah. him and Darren Kay would have been fair enough. Good point, yep. I would be up for that as well. Player of the Year went to Stuart McCloskey. Uh, Women's Player of the Year went to friend of the podcast Claire McLaughlin. The Young Player of the Year, Eric O'Sullivan. Our Rugby Riders Player of the Year that I may have forgotten to vote for. Uh, apologies. Uh, went to Marcel Katsia. The Ulster Rugby Supporters Club Player of the Year also went to Stuart McCloskey. Aaron Sexton won Ulster A Player of the Year and Academy Player of the Year went to Michael Lowry. You can see a full list of all the winners on the Belfast Telegraph Sport website. If the Young Player of the Year is in the Academy, how can the Young Player and the Academy Player of the Year be different? Um, I understand that you haven't put this list together. I'm, I'm merely no, curious. Is, is, is he's definitely still in the Academy. Did he not get Eric Sullivan? Oh, well, no, Ma- oh, yeah. Michael Lowry got... Yeah. Promoted to a senior deal and he won does. Academy Player of the Year. Uh, yeah. But Eric O'Sullivan won Young Player of the Year. Is it Eric O'Sullivan did not win Academy Player of the Year? Mm-hmm. Yes. They're obviously selected by different people. Yes. Much in the same way that there's three different Plus players. The, the schools player did not include a Methody player on the list, and they were the yeah. outstanding team, not only in Northern Ireland, but in Ireland this season. Not even made the shortlist. Mm. That's what happens when it's Methody, though. Yeah. Yeah. People just expect expect the greatness. <laughs> I'm not saying that because I have any connection with the school. I just, I just, I just <laughs> thought, oh, that's, that's a bit. Um, no arguments with Stuart McCloskey as player of the year? No, I voted for him for a <laughs> player of the year. Um, obviously, I went to Marcel, continuing my 
impressive streak of not voting for Irish Party. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, I think it was one of the two of them, and the reason that I voted for McCluskey at the time that we did the voting was because of just how consistent he'd been and Marcel was coming off the back of an injury when we did the voting. Um, you could certainly make the argument that Marcel's performance on Saturday, even though McCluskey was good as well, swung the pendulum towards Marcel. So, oh, <laughs> so excuse me again. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's better than some of the other times I've been on the podcast and <laughs> Had to sneeze a lot. Um, sorry, I interrupted you there very rudely. No, you're granted. Basically, yeah, I think it could have gone to McCluskey or Katsia. So the fact that they both got recognition in some form, I think, is probably fair enough. Yeah, I think the three outstanding candidates were McCluskey, Katsia, and O'Sullivan, and all of them are walking away with something. I think Stu's walking away with two. He got two, yeah. yeah. Stu's walking away with two. Stu's the only one who walks away with two awards on the night. Hopefully, <laughs> we hope. Because um, we're not re-recording this tomorrow. No. <laughs> and a special final mention for Malone Rugby Club, who won the Spirit Club of the Year at the Irish Rugby All Ireland League Awards earlier this week. Very. Oh, oh no! One more thing. You, you didn't mention the Club Player of the Year or the Club of the Year. Club of the Year was Queen's University. Sorry. Yes. Who uh, um, didn't win promotion, but through out the club, were very successful. I think. Second, thirds, and I think the women's team. I very quickly wrote down sort of the, first, the top yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. line of. And, uh, and also Ross Adair won uh, the Club Player of the Year, which was thirty. Here we absurd. go. I'll, I'll grab the rest of them here. Yeah. I do apologise for this. <laughs> and Ross Adair was the outstanding Club Player of the Year. There we go. Yes. So uh, Kelly McCormell from Cook won the Ulster Under Eighteen Girls Player of the Year. Queen's University were indeed Club of the Year. Peter Martin won Referee of the Year. Ross Adair of Balna Hinch won Club Player of the Year. The Darrington B. Faulkner Award went to Barney McGonagall, who we've all worked with closely, I think, over over the years. He does some great work on the Schools Cup weekends um, and with the, with the clubs. Um, the Sony Real Rugby Heroes Award went to Heather Thornton of Rainey. The uh, uh, sorry, that was the youth category, and the adult category went to Victor Carney of Donegal Town. The girls' schools player of the year went to Zara Flack of Enniskill and Royal. The uh, boys' schools player of the year went to Tom Stewart of Belfast Royal Academy, and the youth player of the year went to Matthew Sands of City of Armagh. Congratulations to everyone who won awards. Uh, it's another fantastic. Fantastic night. Sorry, but I didn't force you to do that, did I? You that? didn't force me to do it, no. It just means we're running very close to time. Oh, <laughs> which means we're going to very, very briefly discuss the Champions Cup final in the sense of how do you think is it, how do you think it's going to go? That definitely hasn't happened yet, has it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let's just keep making fun of Adam for getting um, the dates mixed up and everything. How's it going to go? I mean... it. The one that we got the two best teams going head to head. I don't think I can't see anything other than Saracens win, but I do really? hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I think Saracens will win it, but I, I do hope I'm wrong. I'll, I'll be very glad to be wrong. What are yourself? Yeah, I also think Saracens. I think we're probably going to get the game that I think we all wanted last year, when you didn't have Saracens at full strength, missing uh, missing Billy Vanapola and um, sort of fatigued by. 
a fairly draining Six Nations campaign. I think it's um, it's going to be a really sort of titanic physical game. I think you know James Lowe against Mario Toje. When you're thinking about collisions like that, it's going to be unreal. Obviously, um, as I said previously in the season, um, I don't think Leinster are as good as they were last year. I think they've lost fair amount of depth. I think they're going to lose a fair amount of depth again, which is sort of the price of success, as it were. And Johnny Sexton's a year older and looking yeah. more fragile as time goes on. Yeah, um, definitely. Obviously, the semi-final, they play what was probably their best performance in a while, Johnny Sexton's best performance in a while, certainly. And that would be the Leinster that at the start of the season we all predicted was going to going to win the Champions Cup again. But I just... I just think it's going to be Saracens this time. I think they're too powerful. I think they they just will they they, they will they will grind Leinster out down, and I, I just cannot see. I think it's uh, I can't see anything other than the Saris win. I really can't. But as I say, I'd be very happy to hold my hand up and say I was wrong. Well, then I'm going to buck the trend and go for a Leinster win. I'm not basing that really on anything. I'm just going to go for it Leinster win. <laughs> so that then if they do, I can come back next week and say, guess who was right? Just so that we have all yeah. our bases covered. Somebody will be right. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gentlemen, any other business? Don't think I have any no. other business. You, no, can, no. you can say no. Can no is an acceptable answer. Do with having a nap, if that's any, <laughs> if that counts as any other business. But. Well, that's a good job of the podcast done then, isn't it? Uh, on that note, thank you very much for coming in, Michael. Always oh, thanks for having me. We will look forward to having you back next week. Whenever Ooh, we maybe prepare. Memories of Scotstown. Oh, what, what, what an uplifting one that would be. Yeah. We've already got the title for next week's podcast, <laughs> Memories of Scotstown. <laughs> Michael, thank you very okay. much. Johnny, thank you very much as always. Thank you. And from me, Adam McAndrew, thanks very much, guys. Thank you.